the legal drama drags on for Bank of America, while JP Morgan may have a 17 PE business trapped in a 10 PE company. You're in the right place, folks, because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Copenheffer. This is David Hansen. What's up? <laughs> What's up indeed, David? I was, looking at, I was looking at the headlines today, the regular news headlines, and I saw this headline from the New York Times, and the headline is Putin orders military exercises near Ukraine. I can't even get through it without laughing. All I can picture are a bunch of Russian soldiers doing push-ups and sit-ups at the border. I know this is a very serious situation. Very serious. <laughs> Putin ordering the troops go to exercise. Ever since I ever since I saw that picture, was it photoshopped or was it real of Vladimir Putin with, uh, with shirtless shirt riding a bear? Well, that, see, it makes total sense for him to order people. Was that to real? Vote. I, I hope no so. Idea. Riding a bear. I like. I, I like I think to think the riding the bear part was. Yeah, it's Russia. You never know. It is Russia indeed. I don't know. I don't know what that means about riding bears. They can There's, do whatever they want. They're bears in Russia. Yeah. I don't know that they ride them. They do. He does. Okay, let's go to the first headline. First headline of the day comes from the Wall Street Journal. Bank of America says new probes launched into Forex mortgage practices. Bank of America also bumped up its reserve, well, not its reserve. It bumped up its estimate of possible legal costs over and above what it's reserved. Right. The end of last quarter, at the end of uh, the third quarter, it was $5.1 billion. At the end of the fourth quarter, it's now $6.1 billion. So the, the legal drama continues to drag on at Bank of America. And I don't think we should, we should expect, I don't think investors should expect that this is going to clear up very quickly. This is, it's going to continue, and it's unfortunately going to continue to be a drag on the bank. But we're going to continue to see it lessen, at least. And they talk about the new probes, Forex and mortgage rules. It's new in terms of them disclosing it in the SEC filings as a reason for that. But we've talked about it on yeah, the show. This is nothing new. This is kind of just the ongoing process they're going through. So this, does this mean take Bank of America stock out back and shoot it? No, but I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they do go beyond their legal reserves that they have now. We saw that with J.P. Morgan during the whole $13 billion, whatever you want to call it, settlement. They did... Kitchen sink. We'll call it the kitchen to, sink settlement. Yeah, that's, that's a good idea. That's a pretty good... They did have to reach beyond what they had, so maybe Bank of America does it, but again, not a huge long-term concern here. I agree. Second headline. Second headline. Going over to Fool.com, our own Patrick Morris, Annaly Capital Management, core earnings rise 4.5%. Annaly, the Whoa. mortgage rate, huge surge. Oh, burning down the house. Exactly. One of the, one of the last mortgage rates to report earnings here. And not sure what we were going to get here. And it appeared to be, no, it didn't, it didn't appear. It was a good quarter. I'm going to go out and say it was a good quarter Strong for, for Annaly there. The key metrics that we like to look at with mortgage rates, they all looked good, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Uh, Interest rate spread up 36 basis points to 1.43%. That was below 1% last year. So Mm -hmm. moving in the right directions there. Core earnings, 35 cents a share. That covers their 30-cent dividend. So maybe they won't have to cut that going forward. Always a concern. And leverage is at a ridiculously low five times. That could easily be at eight times if they wanted it to be. It's at five times. And you look at assets, assets down $50 billion year over year at Annaly. Is that a good, that's a good thing? You're calling that a good I'm thing? I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing. Okay. But some people might look at that and say, what the heck is going on? It's because they've reduced leverage. They could easily ramp that back up, add $30 billion to their asset base if they wanted to. So I think their strategy is playing out and it looks good. So I'm pleased as a shareholder. Do you think the worst is over? It sounds like you think, like, you think that the worst is over. 
the worst is never completely over. You can never say for certain, but <laughs> you knew where the, I was going the with spike that. That's that, why the you... spike that we saw in interest rates over the summer was not unprecedented, but that was pretty drastic. It was significant. It was very significant. If we see something like that happen again, there would be pain. But as long as there's nothing like that, yeah, I think the worst is over. But do you think that we won't see something like that? Interest rates are still extremely low. You, the Fed, the Fed is tapering off its participation in the mortgage market and the bond market, but it's it's still a, a huge participant in those markets. Let me let me not put it mention, let me put it this way: or not, not to mention not something to not mention, to mention. Not to mention, but we're mentioning it. That the Fed is still keeping the federal funds rate at zero percent. Let me put it this way: if something like that does happen again, there will be pain. But I think this experience has shown me that Annaly can work through it. We've seen executives leave. Everyone saying, "What's that going to mean for the business?" Okay, okay. We're not sure yet, mm-hmm. but the business, the numbers are showing through that they know what they're doing. What's stock trading at right now? Do you know? On a on a discount mode? basis, yeah. uh, I think it's around eight percent discount to book now since the uh, the updated book value. So. You adding to your position here? Not adding, but I'm fine where I'm happy. I am. Happy owning. I'm happy. All right, third and final headline. We are going to Bloomberg. Mayo asks Erdos how it feels at unit trapped in J- at J.P. Morgan. God, Bloomberg headlines. <laughs> it can't even get through them. I feel like it's a it's tongue bad. twister. All right, so, so this was a question from Mike Mayo, the, the outspoken bank analyst yep. at J.P. Morgan's Investor Day. He was talking to the, the head of J.P. Morgan's uh, wealth management, asset management division, and saying, how does it feel to be the head of a 17 PE business trapped inside a 10 PE bank, meaning that if that asset management business was on its own, was its own company, it would command a much higher multiple than, oh, this is what he's saying, don't, yeah, yeah. don't. Th- I'm, I'm just pondering I'm it. I'm just, uh, a much higher multiple than what JP Morgan currently gets, gets on the whole here. Uh, and, and I think that's, pro- to some extent, that's very true. Yeah, that's very true. That asset management business is worth a lot more. But then again, I think that J.P. Morgan as a whole is worth a lot more than what it's currently trading at. I agree. But yes, it, as a standalone, it would trade at a P.E. greater than 10. I'm pretty confident of that. But who's to say it's not worked its way into the overall valuation of the bank today? I mean, if you're looking at the sum of parts at, at J.P. Morgan, maybe that 10 P.E. is an 8 P.E., without the asset management. Then business. that's even more ridiculous. But I'm just saying, maybe it's already worked its way in there. I think it's a, I think it's a silly question. I think the asset management, I have a lot of respect for Mike, but I think the asset management fits well in the J.P. Morgan business. It, it serves their client base. Well, I, think, I think another question here is, isn't this the same at basically every one of the big banks? Right. You look over at Bank of America. Does Bank of America's, the, the Merrill Lynch, the asset management portion of Merrill Lynch, that's that's a much higher value business than that's probably worth more than than J.P. Morgan's asset management, and it's trapped inside whatever the valuation, the, the uh, discount to book value valuation at, at Bank of America. Um, you could say this about any company, though. I mean, look, we're seeing the same thing at eBay. Everyone's saying PayPal's worth more well, by itself. You can't say it about every company. You could say it about companies that a lot are a of collection companies. of a collection of businesses, multiple right. business lines. It's easy to say that as a standalone, businesses would trade at a higher multiple. It's, easier to, it's easy to say that, but in reality, is it true? Maybe. Uh, not all the time, though. Well, I think it's a good reminder, too, that, that within these, these big businesses that have multiple business units, one of the ways that we can go about figuring out how much it should be worth is to do, do, some, do a sum of parts valuation on each of the individual businesses. Right. Maybe recognizing 
that after you do that, you have to give some sort of conglomerate discount, that the market is just not going to value the group of businesses the same way it would the individual businesses on a standalone basis. Good point. All right, the focus for today, we are starting to see some of the 10Ks, the annual reports coming out for the banks, for, for basically everybody. Q4 is closed. Yeah. Got to get those filings into the SEC. How? You don't have to, but it's encouraging. You really should. <laughs> you really should. It's, it. it's strong. It's, it's not really a suggestion. Yeah. Let's be fair. It's not really a suggestion. They have to. Yeah. Um, but they can decide not to. Exactly. We've seen, we've seen some companies do that, and not, not to their benefit. Anyway, reading a 10K, what is the best... Instead of going, going with what is the best way to read a 10K, which we can maybe do that another time, if you were going through a 10K and you could only read one section of it, it's broken down into a bunch of different sections, if you could read only one section of the 10K, what would it be? I'm going with uh, a section of a subsection. Is that cool? Oh, jeez. <laughs> going with the, you can't even read a whole section. I'm going with the business, business section, business uh-huh. segment results. So looking at where a particular bank, company makes its money, how much its revenue comes from that segment, how much its earnings come from that segment. Because mm-hmm. there are going to be big differences there. A segment can have a lot of revenue, and then the earnings are basically nothing if there's low margins there. So I want to look at that segment, because anything else you hear about the bank, the company, you can frame it with that knowledge in mind. A couple months ago, or quarters ago, when bond trading was really low at all the big banks, everyone was saying, no, this is a bad thing for fixed income trading. Mm-hmm. If you know how much a particular bank relies on bond trading, then you can kind of frame that and say, does this even matter? You look at Bank of America, we just talked about them. Only around 18% of their revenue comes from the markets business. And then you drill down further and say, well, how much, how much of that is fixed income? Mm-hmm. An even smaller percentage. So then you can kind of say, even if it's down 10%, what does that mean to the overall business? So I'm going with the segments. Because you, it's a, you, you, want to, you want to understand the, the business contributions from the, from the various I think segments. it makes it framing other things you hear a lot easier once you know that. What if, what if you're reading about like a Bank of the Ozarks, where it's a, it's a much simpler bank, you don't have all these different arms and businesses, would you still be looking kind of for the same thing? Yeah. Because even a smaller community bank, you want to know how much are they relying on mortgage lending? How much of it is commercial okay. lending? Gotcha. Like that. What do you got? I'm going, I'm going to separate it. So if it's, a, if it's a company that I'm not familiar with, I'm going to go for the business section. And, and I appreciate the, the segment breakout. I think that's, that's a good, and I'll capture that because I'm reading the whole section. I'm not you like, got, you, you are got, just got going to read a time. section within a section. I am ambitious. I, I want to know. I want to know things. Um, but a lot of times at the beginning, towards the, towards the beginning of a business section, a company will talk about its strategy, maybe even talk about its vision. Mm. And those are things that are important to me because I do want to know the what of what the company does, but I want to know the why and the how of, of what the company's doing. Because I, I think a, a downfall of a lot of companies is they just, they do things. And, and that's okay. I mean, you could be a bank that just banks, that just does typical banking businesses. Mm-hmm. But why do I want to own just any bank that's just out there competing in this commodity business? I want a bank that is thinking about where they can provide the most value, how they can differentiate themselves from the rest of the, uh, from the, rest of the banks out there, from the rest of the industry, uh, and, and potentially be able to carve out a position for itself so that it can earn greater than mm-hmm. average returns over time for me. And that's good for me. Right, because if like it's just that. an average bank... If it's doing average banking, it's going to revert to the mean in terms of returns, exactly. which is 
Yeah, and it's average. Why am, why am I bothering? Yeah. At that point, why am I bothering? I'm, I'm wasting a lot of time. I might as well be reading a section within a section <laughs> if I'm just looking for yeah, any standard typical cheap bank. Shot. So that's, that's, for, that's for a company that I don't know much or anything about. That's a new, a new company. So for, for one that I'm already invested in or already know a bunch about, I would probably go to the MDNA, the Management Discussion mm-hmm. and Analysis section. This section breaks down the results from that year, from that particular year, and talks through what went on, what were the big drivers of either the good performance or the bad performance. Uh, in, in addition, it usually breaks out by segment, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes by geography, and talks about the different drivers uh, pushing those around. So, um, so those are the two that, that I'd look at if I was, if I was limited to just one section. Uh, I would say I'd give honorable mention. I can give an honorable mention here. You can do that. I'd give an honorable mention to the risk factor section. I think particularly for a company that I'm not as familiar with, going through the risk factors can tell you it's a so lot about it. It's so depressing, though. It, it if is. If you read just the risk factors of a company, you go, this company's failing. They're never going to make any money. <laughs> there are a lot it's of, a little depressing. There are often a lot of risks. It's a good thing, though. But the interesting thing is to kind of skip over the risks that are just so generic. Right. So B- Bank of America, I think its very first risk in, in the risk factor section of its 10K is about our business won't do well if the economy doesn't do well. So, duh. Right. They, they've got to put that in there, but duh, like, obviously. You want to look, at the, you want to look for the risks that are specific uh, to that company. Right. All right, good points. Mailbag. Mailbag. We, have a, we don't actually have... We need an actual mailbag, I think. We, we, need a, we need a bag that we can print stuff out and put it in there. But we do have an email address. That email address is WTMI at fool.com. Send us an email... Perhaps when we get an e- a mailbag, we'll print out your email Ooh. and we'll put it in the bag. Can it be like a scroll? I think you'd like, you'd like that strategy because you hate trees. I think yeah. you've decided that you hate trees. Like a lot of paper printing. <laughs> Here's the question that we've got today I've got it from the here. mailbag. Oh, yeah, we don't have – you didn't do this. The question is from Raul. He says, my question is about Zillow. I am an investor and would like to know your take on the latest quarterly earnings. I thought you guys were going to discuss it, but since we did not have a couple of episodes because of the bad weather, maybe you missed it. I think we did miss it. We didn't miss it. We didn't talk about it either. That's, that's our bad. That that's on us. Uh, I took a look, and I'm a shareholder. You're a shareholder. Too, I am right? a shareholder. The results were encouraging. I continue to be a happy shareholder. I'm just a happy guy today. Uh, traffic on the site. And I don't want to veer off into the... Valuation look, per eyeballs? Yeah, valuation per eyeballs kind of stuff. But maybe we should do that more often. Um, no. In the fourth quarter, fourth quarter of 2012, average unique visitors, 34.5 million. So that was last year. In January, just this past January, mm-hmm. they hit 70 million unique visitors. Basically doubled traffic over a year. That's, that's pretty impressive. It's a pretty healthy chunk of the entire U.S. population that's making its way over to the Zillow website. It is. Um, and, and what they always say is, we believe advertisers will follow the eyeballs. Sure. The eyeballs are going to Zillow, and if you believe some data from Comscore, Zillow's traffic is more than is bigger than its two closest competitors combined, more than double. It's pretty impressive. Wow. Um, and another interesting stat here: when Zillow went public in, in 2011, they had around 13,000 premier agent subscribers. So that's their core business: real estate agents signing up. 13,000. Today, nearly 50,000. So is that is that? more the primary in your in your mind as an investor is that more the primary route you're looking for them to monetize their business or is it through the advertising it's, or through, really it's through the real estate agent subscriptions because that can be a recurring revenue real estate agents because that is, to go that is kind of the advertising right that's part of the right there's they have display advertising on the site which is kind of minimal but then the actual real estate agents advertising hey right. here's a house 
I'll help you. It's all, buy it. it's, it's all, it's all technically a form of advertising, but it's, but it's all that network effect, right? Right, exactly. You get, you get more people on the site, using the site, the, those eyeballs glued to the site. Uh, you're going to get more real estate agents on there, and it all works in a beautiful... Just Which is what they're doing. And if you look at the stock, it's been a great performer since going public. And you might say, this is just another internet stock going crazy for no reason. Well, they've had their subscriptions go from 13000 to 50000 mm-hmm. I think that's pretty justified. And the valuation does look pricey. It's always looked pricey. But it's a $3 billion company in a market that's maybe $30 billion, maybe more than $30 billion. So I'm still happy today. All right. Moving on to the game for today, we've got a little bit of Rank It today. That's where we take a group of something, whatever we decide, and then we rank it, Mm -hmm. just however we feel. One through five. One through five. Today, we've got Warren Buffett's, Berkshire Hathaway's, top ten holdings. So we took a look at the top ten holdings of Berkshire Hathaway, and we could each choose five of those holdings and rank them one to five in terms of how much we like that as an investment, or at least that's the way I went about it. You might have gone with the colors of the company or something. I don't even know. I'm with you. All right. Give me rankings. Here are my rankings. Number one, Buffett and I agree. Wells Fargo is my number one. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't own it, but if you're looking for a bank that you can understand, that can generate good returns, reasonable valuation, I think it's Wells Fargo. American Express is my number two. I think there's a lot of opportunity outside of the United States. I know you're not the biggest fan of American Express, but I am, so I don't care what you think. I think they have a lot of opportunity in Asia, still growing in Europe to some extent. And my third one there is Coke. Love the distribution of Coke. I think the the valuation is pretty reasonable today. I think you're getting really good business, fair price today. I think Mm. it's a very fair price. Get a 3-plus percent dividend. I'm going with Coke. That's my three. What do you got? All right, let's take a look at... Do I have a rank? Yes, I do have a rankings list. Number one, Wells Fargo. Number two, U.S. Bancorp. Number three, Munich Re. Number four, IBM. Number five, ExxonMobil. Wells Fargo. Like you, my number one. I had U.S. Bancorp a lot higher up. I had a number I, five. Yeah, Explain yourself. I saw that. I saw that. <laughs> I noticed that. Uh, I think U.S. Bancorp, the, the valuation isn't terribly compelling today, but it's not uncompelling either. Is that a word? It, I just if it's not mm-hmm. now it, it is. Be. I just said it. I just said it. We're on the interwebs, and so it's got to be true. Yeah, it's not uncompelling the valuation, but and the business is great. I, I think you've got really great leadership here, Richard Davis. I think one of the best bankers, certainly running the big banks today. Um, very uh, very conservative guy. Very focused on creating long term value. So I, I really like U.S. Bancorp a lot. Munich Re, probably a lot of uh, U.S. investors not as familiar with this business, but it's a, it's a reinsurer. It also does some primary insurance, but it's uh, uh, based over in Germany, as you probably guess. Munich Re, like a, a lot of reinsurers, it's, it's a tough time right now because there's a lot of capital rushing into that business, uh, but they're very focused on the core business. Uh, the, the company is very focused on the core business from the perspective that we live in a volatile Mm-hmm. rapidly changing world. We've got the potential of climate change. Uh, we've got terrorism threats all over the world. And there are businesses, there are high net worth individuals, there are all kinds of interests that want to protect themselves financially from these things. And Munich Re is one of the, com- one of the largest insurers, one of the largest reinsurers that's able to help them do that. Rich people, that's me. That is, I'm taking out insurance policy. That's you exactly. That's you. I need that reinsurance. Here's here's a question for you on on your rankings. You have Wells Fargo number one. Mm -hmm. You don't own it. 
you have American Express number two, you do own it. How does that, that tell me how that makes sense? Uh, I didn't buy American Express at today's valuation. Ah, well, I, I just I want to make it clear that I don't dislike American Express as a company. I think American Express is a great company. I just don't think the valuation is terribly compelling today. And, and I don't put valuation ahead of everything else. Valuation doesn't trump everything for me. I, not to, I'm always trotting out Buffett quotes, I feel like. But Buffett, great bu- find a great business, get it at a fair price. Is American Express at a fair price today? I don't know. I, I think it's a little pricey. I, I, I think if, if your, your aim is for lower long-term returns, average long-term returns... Maybe you'll do okay with American Express today. I'm, sh- I'm gunning for something a little bit higher, and I don't think that I can get that out of, out of American Express. All right. That's your personal opinion. <laughs> Keep it to yourself. <laughs> Keep it to myself. What, is, what happened to the First Amendment? Do we not have the First Amendment in not the Not on this show. <laughs> on this show. All right. Let's finish off in the Twitter sphere. David, what is the first tweet? First tweet is from at Alcivar. It says, um, sporting a polo shirt with a bow tie and suit is completely unacceptable on the house floor or any floor. We have a picture of this guy. This is a representative from Colorado. For those of you listening, he's wearing a purple polo with a bow tie, just like Matt here. He's on the house floor. That's tremendous. Give your bow tie brethren some love <laughs> I, or some hate. I, I apologize, but, but I can. <laughs> you apologize on behalf of all bow tie wearers. I, I, I always want to, I, I want to support fellow bow tie wearers, but... Bow tie with polo shirt, I'm sorry, really is just, it really is an experience. It's a little brutal. It's way brutal. All right, second tweet. We've got John Carney. Uh, that's at Carney. They spent their lives building a business. Then, then things slowed down. What they did next will blow your mind. And then he uh, tags JP Morgan. I, I, like, I like John Carney's tweet here just because I didn't know he had this amount of upworthy in him. Yes. That is a very upworthy For those tweet of there. our listeners who don't know what upworthy is, what is oh, upworthy? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a site that has feel-good stories and, and very aggressive headlines just like that one. Um, in terms of J.P. Morgan, I, I don't know that what they're doing now that things have slowed down will actually blow your mind. No. But, but Carney's breakdown is essentially that it's, it's tough to grow the top line in the banking business right now. Uh, demand is, demand is uh, tepid at best. Uh, and so what, what we've continued to see is, is cost-cutting and cost-cutting leading to higher returns. And we're continuing to see that at J.P. Morgan. And I'm not bearish because of that. I think that right now is a good time to be cost-cutting to, to make the biz- these businesses more efficient. And then when the demand comes back, you'll be ready. Have that. All right. Third tweet. This is from the Wall Street Journal at WSJ. A leopard made its way into an Indian hospital. Later, it smashed a window and fled. We also have a picture of this, and this is incredible. There is a leopard fleeing a hospital, and there's a guy literally inches away from this leopard. What do you think was going through that guy's head? I think what was going through his head is if I was Vladimir Putin with my shirt off You'd right now, on. I would hop on that leopard and I would ride it. That is a good idea. Do, do you think Vladimir Putin has also ridden a leopard? Oh, for sure. For sure. But it's probably on like steroids, so it's like a huge leopard. <laughs> Just a giant leopard. It's like the Ivan Drago of, of leopards. All right. Do we have, a for, we have a fourth tweet? Yeah. Fourth tweet. This is from uh, Dana Mattioli. Dana Mattioli. Uh, at Dana Mattioli. On the trading floor... 
Bill Gross doesn't like employees speaking with him or making eye contact. Great read on PIMCO. This is at the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Bill Gross, is his, his, his star is falling, man. His star is falling. Mm-hmm. He was he, known as the Bond King. PIMCO just cleaned up on everybody else over the past couple decades. <clears throat> and a lot of that probably due to the fact that bonds have been in a bull market during that period. Now you've got a tougher time for bonds. You've got Mohamed El-Aryan, who was sitting at the top of PIMCO up there with Bill Gross. Now he's taking off. Now we're starting to see stories like this on, on, on Gross. Is his star just going to keep falling? Maybe. I don't know. I'm not counting him out. He's a little eccentric, but I also don't think he's the only trader or executive or, or portfolio manager that doesn't like to be looked, at, like to be looked at or <laughs> spoken to on the trading floor. I think that's pretty common around, around Wall Street. Is he riding bears around, too? He probably could. <laughs> All right. Final tweet of the day comes from Eddie Elfenbein. Fun fact. Since February 3rd, the most shorted stocks are up 12%, twice the rest of the market. Should we just start looking at stocks that are being shorted? Is that the new game plan? I don't know. You I don't throw know. your hands up. It, well, to some extent, over the over the past few years, a lot of the a lot of the the, the stocks that have gone up, uh, you look at them and you're like, why is why is this? Why are valuations expanding on this? In in, in some cases, the businesses are doing better, but the valuations are expanding. It's I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to say about it. And, and a lot of the most shorted stocks are those stocks with uh, huge valuations already. And while I'm not big on going after the shortest stock just because it's got a big P.E., um, I think that probably explains some of it. I think this reinforces my thought that I don't like to short. And I definitely don't like to short just because something is overvalued on the face of it. I think we've we've talked about it before, saying if you find something that's like their products are being, they're fraudulent on their reporting, Mm -hmm. or there's something egregious like that, you can maybe convince me to do it, but it's just because... Like you said, price to sales is 200. I'm not sure it. Markets st- can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent. Exactly. And on that note, that is our show for today. Uh, we're on Twitter at TMF Financials. We're on Facebook, Motley Fool Financial Services. I'm Matt Copenheffer. This is David Hansen. We'll see you tomorrow. People on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear.